Well, Merry Christmas. My, my name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and I'd like to add my welcome to David's here on this first Sunday in Christmas. Um, during the Advent season, we've been doing a series on the skeptics of Christmas, and we're continuing that this morning by looking at Joseph's um, life and the account of Jesus' birth from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Um, for many of us, Christmas uh, can often lead to these fuzzy warm, sentimental feelings, these fond memories. Um, you know, we sigh and we smile and laugh and we have sugar plums dancing in our heads. Uh, but the reality is, is for the people around the first Christmas experienced anything but that. Um, their lives are utterly disrupted. Now the story of Christmas, of God coming to earth as a baby to save his people from their sins to renew and redeem all of creation, to set everything right. This is the best news ever. Uh, There's no better news. There's no better story. God writes himself into the story, and he comes and he gives us himself to save our broken lives and to save our broken world. But in order for us to see and embrace the good news of Christmas, we need to see and embrace that Christmas also brings the worst news to us. Uh, news that, that wounds our pride. Um, the reason Jesus came was to rescue us. Because we are in need of being rescued. And when Jesus comes, when Christmas comes, it disrupts everything around us and within us. But as we'll see this morning, if we allow Christmas to disrupt us, we'll actually be made whole. We'll be renewed. We'll be in relationship with the one who made us who loved us, who moved heaven and earth to be near us, and who would free us from shame and fear and our insecurities so that we could be known and loved and accepted by him. Do you want that this Christmas season, in this new year? Please read with me Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Hear the word of our God given for our good and for his glory. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but... Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for Jesus coming to earth as a baby, as one vulnerable, one who can identify with us, one that came to save us. Father, for some of us here this morning, that is an exciting story. That is one that we long to be true. For others of us, we um, chafe at the idea of that. We don't expect you to show up. We, if we're honest, we don't even want you to. Uh, Father, we ask that you would meet with us this morning, that you would transform us by your spirit, 
and that you would help us to see the good news of Christmas this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago in David's sermon, he mentioned getting Christmas letters, as I'm sure you've gotten many of this season, and that got me thinking and us talking in the office, what if Joseph wrote a Christmas letter? Um, who would he even send it to is the reality. But, you know, what would that sound like? What would his Christmas letter sound like? And if we're honest, it would sound nothing like our Christmas letter. So I have Joseph's Christmas letter here for us this morning. Um, it gets dark. Get ready. Uh, dear family and friends, greetings from Bethlehem. This year started off great. I was looking forward to getting to have Mary as my wife after this year of being betrothed. My father picked her out because she loved and followed God and his laws like my family does. Then one day Mary came to see me and she looked different. Mary was pregnant. Now this was confusing and horrible because she and I hadn't been together yet. We were waiting until we were officially married and living together. So what am I supposed to do? I'm a godly, law-abiding man, so I couldn't actually marry this girl anymore. She's been cheating on me. She had this crazy story about the Holy Spirit that was the one that put this child in her. But does she think I'm an idiot? Now, now she's not only a liar and unfaithful, she's crazy too. So I was going to divorce her quietly because I did love her and didn't want to bring any more shame and despair on her. But, but listen to this. You'll never believe this, and, and I didn't believe it. One night an angel shows up in my dreams and tells me to not be afraid to take Mary home as my wife. She wasn't lying. The child is from the Holy Spirit, and I'm supposed to name this child and take him as my own. So that's what I did. I trusted God's words, and baby Jesus is here. And now when people see us, they, they whisper in hurried and hushed tones. Rooms and shops go silent when we walk in. I know what everyone's saying. They, they think Mary cheated on me, and I'm a gullible fool. Or, I'm a phony. If I say that this child is from the Holy Spirit, then I'm crazy. My reputation in our community is destroyed. People that were my friends mock me or avoid me. People don't want a carpenter who's disgraced, who's a liar, who's crazy working for them. And to make things worse, we're hearing that King Herod actually wants to kill all the baby boys in this area and we're going to have to move to a new, terrible, and foreign place soon. We're exhausted and scared and alone. But I know one thing. God keeps his promises and his words are true. I know I can trust him and his words even when everything in my life has been disrupted. I'm holding his son right now as I write this. And I know that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to me. But he's the one we've been waiting for, Joseph. So when we think of the Christmas story, we often forget about Joseph. We forget about how difficult, how unsettling, and how disruptive this whole thing was to him. Jesus' coming was not this warm and fuzzy, happy story. It was a story of disruption for everyone around him. It disrupts life all around us. I mean, look at Joseph. He finds out Mary's pregnant, and he knows how babies are made. He knows that it isn't his. And so what is he left with? Mary's unfaithful. Mary's disloyal and disgusting. Can you imagine their conversations? Just tell me, Mary, who, who was it? Just tell me. I don't believe you. That's crazy. Stop lying. Just tell me. 
you know, his relationship with Mary is disrupted to the point that he's made up his mind to divorce her in verse 19. And betrothal back then was this year-long period of engagement where the husband and wife were actually called husband and wife, but they didn't live or sleep together yet. Um, and it was more official than our ideas of engagement that actually could only be dissolved by an official legal divorce. And God lets Joseph sit in this mess for at least a few months. I mean, can you imagine and feel his anguish? And then an angel comes with a message from God himself and assures Joseph that Mary's been telling the truth this whole time. That, and now his plans just disintegrate in front of him. She's just as righteous, just as good as he had hoped. And he can marry her now in good conscience because she's pure. Because the baby is actually from the Holy Spirit and not some other guy. It's been put there by God himself. And so do you see the disruption now that comes from him marrying Mary and taking Jesus into his life? Now Joseph's standing, his, his, his standing, his reputation in the community are completely lost. Verse 19 says that he's faithful to the law. Other translations say that he's righteous. He's a good man. Uh, he keeps and he follows and he honors God's law. So even if he divorced Mary the shame would be on her and not on him, and he'd be in the right. But if he marries her, the shame is on him now. His standing in the community goes out the window. The title of righteous and good Joseph is shattered. And why? Because he's either a liar, and the baby is his, or he's married a scandalous woman, and he's a gullible fool. Or if he tries to say, no, 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 listen, listen, Mary and I, we didn't sleep together. This baby's from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's crazy, right? That doesn't happen. You're supposed to laugh. That's the most ridiculous thing in the whole world. It's okay. People know where babies come from. This doesn't happen. So Joseph's either a liar, he's a fool, or he's crazy. And then, to make matters even worse, Joseph's life gets disrupted even more, and God takes all sense of control away from his life and family, and he doesn't even let him name this baby. Naming in that culture was a sign of the father's control over the family and over his, his children. And the angel takes that away from him, too, and says, you don't get to pick the name, God does. And so having Jesus in Joseph's life disrupts everything around him. You know, as we said, Joseph's relational, his vocational life is disrupted because of Jesus. His reputation, his standing in the community is completely gone. You know, people look down on him. People scoff at him. People say hurtful things about him and his family. And when we allow Jesus into our lives, we shouldn't be surprised when the same things happen to us. His own dad doesn't get a free pass. When we claim Jesus as our God, and Savior, as the God-man, as the resurrected Christ, when we let his word rule us, we're opening ourselves up to criticism, to disdain from the world around us. You know, how can you believe that? That's foolishness. That's crazy. You're gullible. You know, jobs and promotions and relationships and friendships pass us by because we have Jesus in our lives and maybe that means that we don't do certain things or it means that we do do other things. It means that we're not ruled by our family or our job or what other people think of us and so our relational and our vocational lives are completely disrupted all around us. 
And then, like Joseph, we lose our whole sense of control by having Jesus in our lives. You know, if we're honest, we often think and pretend that we are in charge and in control. And then Jesus shows up and he rips that away from us. You know, Joseph has to revise his plans to fit with God's plans uh, when he decides to marry Mary after wanting to divorce her. And then he doesn't even get to name Jesus. Tim Keller writes this. He says, if Jesus comes into your life, you don't control him. He controls you. If Jesus is your life, you are not his manager. The child who is about to be born is your manager. And then when we come to Jesus, we, we have to learn to be, be flexible, to let him be in charge of our thoughts and our actions and our behaviors and our decisions. And then we also have to drop our conditions. We have to give up to the right to say, I'll follow you, God, if, if this happens. Or I'll do this for you if you do this for me. You know, having Jesus in your life is crazy because you have to deny yourself. Jesus says that in Luke 9, 23. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. So the Christian calling here is shocking to our whole systems because if we want Jesus in the center of our lives, we have to follow and obey him without conditions. Keller again writes, only if we give him our supreme allegiance will we get what we need most from him. We need him to name us. He made us. He knows who we are, what we were made for, what will fit us. That means we can't know who we are until he comes into our lives and then through obedience to him, learn our true identity. So we see that having Jesus in our lives disrupts our our lives all around us, but it also disrupts life within us. And this is where the sermon title and my mention of the Christmas and Jesus coming into the world being the worst news ever come from. So why would I say that? Why is Christmas the worst news for us? Uh, I've been reading Paul Tripp's Advent devotional this December, and he's really got me wrestling with this. And so a lot of this comes from from reading him this month. Uh, But in order for us to embrace Christmas as the greatest news ever, we have to embrace that it's the worst news ever for us. Jesus is, is God in the flesh, come to earth as a vulnerable baby to save us. But why does he do this? Why did he think that this unexpected and unthinkable thing, this miracle, was necessary? The short answer is there's simply no other way. We need a Savior to be born. We need a rescuer because we are broken. We are incapable of loving God We are incapable of being good enough to merit his love, to merit his affection and his acceptance. We need to be rescued. Our biggest problem in our life isn't our family, it isn't our spouse, it isn't politics, it isn't the government, it isn't the culture around us, it isn't our relationships or our lack of them, it isn't even our church. It's inside of us. We don't need a computer programmer to come in and make a few tweaks here and there and some downloads and some upgrades to get us functioning properly. Jesus' radical intervention into history, into Joseph's life, into our lives, is our only hope. Scripture says that, that we are all hopeless, apart from God's intervening grace, from before our very first breath because we're broken. Our condition is that we're sinful and our hearts are bent away from God and His love and His beauty and His law. 
Psalm 51 says, Surely I was sinful at birth from the time my mother conceived me. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the bad news of Christmas. That sin is present in our life. And it's, it's more serious than just missing the mark. It's not just the wrong things we do and the things that we don't do right. It's not just the right things that we do for the wrong reasons. It's this holistic understanding of brokenness. It's not just what you do, but it's who you are. It's, it's what you are. It's the state of your heart. We all want our way. We all want to be in control. We think we are the most important person in the room, and our needs have to be met in the way that we want them, when we want them, and how we want them. Our hearts are, are twisted and broken. We want the wrong things. We, we fix our hearts upon them and on things that don't last on things that keep us from flourishing, on things that inevitably lead to emptiness. This is the bad news of Christmas, that you and I are broken and need to be rescued. and We can't rescue ourselves. But this is why Jesus comes, because he knows that without his help, the sin that separates us from God and leaves us guilty before him the sin that makes us enemies of God and what he says is true and good and right, the sin that that blinds us to the reality of our own condition, the sin that causes us to replace worship for God with any number of countless things, the sin that keeps us from living as we were meant and designed to would ultimately kill and destroy us in every way. This is the bad news of Christmas, that you and I need a rescuer. All of us. None of us is okay apart from the invasion of the incarnation, of the disruption of Christmas and the grace of Jesus in our lives. But, but that's why he comes, to destroy all of that sin, all of that brokenness, all of that pain. So we have to embrace the bad news of Christmas because if we do, the good news of the Christmas story will become all the more comforting and glorious to us, even in the midst of the disruptions that come from having Jesus in our lives. So what is that good news of Christmas? We find it in our text in the two names that come to this miracle child. First, Jesus, G- Joseph is told to name this baby boy Jesus, which means the Lord saves. So we see from the outset of Jesus' birth what his mission is all about. And, that, and we see that this God keeps his promises. From the moment sin enters into the world in Genesis 3, God promises that he would send someone to come and destroy sin and all of its effects and all of its consequences. And he's been at work since that moment and before that to bring this promise to fulfillment. Psalm 130 is one of my favorite psalms. And in verse 8, we hear this promise that we're promised that God will redeem Israel from all of our sins. And that's exactly why Jesus is born. This God keeps his promises. He loves and he cares for his people so much that he comes for them in person. He doesn't send a representative. He comes himself. So Christianity isn't just good advice um, about morals. Christianity is good news about God and what he has done for us. And what he has done is he has come to rescue us from this mess that we are in. It's all about grace. 
We can't rescue ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't be loving enough. We can't be generous enough. But Jesus can and was. And the whole reason he came was to seek and to save the lost, to rescue people that didn't want to be rescued, to rescue people that didn't deserve it, because that's who this God is. So in the midst of the disruptions that come from having Jesus in the center of your life, you're freed from the power of sin. You're given a new name. You're loved and cherished and delighted in. You're given a promise and an inheritance that cannot be taken away no matter what. You are now secure. Your life is hidden with Jesus, and it is a sure thing. Those disruptions are not the loudest voice anymore. The loudest voice, the voice you need to hear is the one shouting, I love you. I came for you. I died for you. I am alive from you. You are mine and no one else's. The whole reason Jesus came was to save you. And you've been rescued in him. But it's not just Jesus' name, Jesus, that's important. What about Emmanuel? Emmanuel means God with us. It means that he came as one of us. It means he's with you. And he pledges himself to you forever. It means that you have a God who loves you and is with you. That you're not alone when you have him. It means that you actually can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, the one who is perfect and high and mighty, the one Moses begged to see, has made himself available to you. And he's been all the places that you've been. He's experienced all the darkness and the brokenness of sin and suffering and temptation. And you can rely on this one. You can trust him because he actually has the power to comfort, to strengthen you, and to bring you through any darkness that you find yourself in. Because he's one of us and he knows what it means to suffer and to hurt and to grieve. And he says, you are not alone. You can find strength and hope and comfort in him because he suffered too for you. So in the midst of loss and disruption of every kind, the answer for us is Emmanuel. God with us, you are not alone. Jesus knows what it is to be betrayed, to be lonely, to be poor to be mocked, to be gossiped about, to, to face death, to be abandoned. But he experienced the depth of God's abandonment on the cross so that in him you never have to. So Jesus went through all of that so that we could be comforted and draw our hope and our strength from him. Emmanuel means that even in the face of great disruption in our lives, we are not alone. Dorothy Sayers was a, a, famous, a famous English crime writer. She's also uh, one of the first women to get a degree from Oxford, Oxford University. And she's perhaps best known for her detective stories about Lord Peter Whimsey. And Peter Whimsey was this adored detective uh, who was unmarried for most of, of her stories. But then in one story, Whimsey meets Harriet Vane. And Harriet Vane is also a crime writer. And she is also one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University. And they fall in love and live happily ever after. Now some have argued that Dorothy Sayers loved her character, Peter Whimsey, that she had created so much that she wrote herself into the story. She looked on Whimsey and she loved him and she cared for him and she saw that he needed to be rescued and he needed to be loved and so 
that's exactly what she did. She wrote herself into the story to do just that. And that's exactly what God does for us in Jesus. He looks on us, his creation, and he loves us so much that he writes himself into the story to come and save us from our sins. And we have to respond. Will you embrace the bad news of Christmas to receive the great news of Christmas this year? That God was born into this world as a baby to come and rescue you and make you his child, the one in whom he delights, the one in whom he rejoices and sings over, not because of anything you did or can do, but simply because he loves you and he wants you to flourish. What will you do with that news this Christmas season? Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that you came uh, in Jesus to rescue us. Uh, If we're honest, that is the craziest thing that we've ever heard. Um, And yet, it's true. And so we need you to make our hearts soften to you and your grace. Help us to rejoice at your word. Um, We ask that you would meet with us now as we come to your table. Uh, We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.